of the week uh, to follow Jesus uh, more closely. The other thing that I want to, to make you aware of is that on Father's Day, which is two Sundays from now, on June 19th, uh, we're going to have a time during our worship service for us to share stories with one another about either our father or somebody in our life who's been like a father to us. Uh, I, I want that to be a day where it's not just me talking, but we all get an opportunity to share those stories. And so you have a, a couple of weeks to know that that's coming, and for those of you who are introverts, to, to get over the shock that it's coming. Um, and, and we're going to have uh, probably about five to seven minutes during our worship sh- service to share those stories. Uh, because it's, it's not only Scripture that shapes our hearts when it comes to, to understanding God's heart. It's other people that we share life with. Um, so we want you to be thinking about a story that you might be able to share. Let's pray together. God, we come before you now at this time in our, our week, this time in our service, and we are asking you to shape our characters into people who look more and more like you and your son and who listen carefully to your spirit. As we continue this week to open our hearts and our minds up to the story of Jonah, we pray that you would, for every single person in this room, that you would speak the message that they need to hear and that you would give us, as listeners, the courage and the openness to hear whatever it is that you you are seeking to say to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So one of the, the most basic struggles in life no matter how old or how young you happen to be, is the difference between what you really want to do and what you really should do. Right? You, you really want to have a little bit of, of just a couple of bites of a second piece of cake. But you know that you really should be watching your calories. You know that you, you want to just, after a long day, kind of fall into your couch and unwind in front of the TV, but you also know that what you should do is get up and spend some face-to-face time with your children. You know that you, you'd love to, to sleep in a little bit longer, but you know that if you're going to be on time for all the things that you need to do, you have to get up right now. No more hitting the snooze button. There's this distance between what we want to do and what we know we should do. Now, granted, there are times when they're exactly the same. You may get to a place in your life, I don't relate to this, but you may get to a place in your life where you really want to exercise, and you really should. Uh, you, you may get to a place in your life where you, you know that, that what you want is to be more intentional with your money, and you really should. There are times when what you you long for, what you want, is the same exact thing as what you should do. But there there are many, many other times when there is this undeniable space between what I want to do and what I should do, and my guess is that you you relate. Again, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter how how mature or immature you happen to be, there's often this this push and pull in your heart of what you're tempted to do and what you know is right. There, there is this, this undeniable difference between the right thing and the selfish thing. 
Now, what's difficult about this is, is not just the fact that we have to admit there's a difference, but we have to remember over and over and over again that there is a difference between the right thing and the selfish thing because our world is filled with people who want to try to convince us that the selfish thing is the right thing. I mean, commercial after commercial after commercial, television shows and movies and music that we listen to keep telling us that life, your life, is about you and what you want and your dreams and your hopes. And, and because of that, what starts out sounding like inspirational material can often become the, the, the raw ingredients that we need to convince ourselves that when we do things that are primarily for us and us alone, and even if it ends up not being the best for other people, that if it brings us happiness, however fleeting that might be, if, if it brings us a sense of achievement, how shallow that might be, as long as it somehow in some way improves me, then I'm going to do it even if it's not the best thing for you. And I'm going to say things like, I'm being true to myself. Right? And this is, this is what I need in, in my life to be the best version of me. There's a whole lot of me in all of that. And, and you might want to think that we as Christian people are able to resist that line of thinking. But we struggle with it just like everybody else. There is, there is a difference between doing what's good for you and you alone and stopping and considering is what I'm about to do good for everybody else as well. Over and over in Scripture, God reminds his people that true life, life that is, is fulfilling, life that has purpose and meaning, it's never, it's never a life that's lived mainly for you and what you want and your dreams and your hopes. It's our dreams and our hopes. It's, it's never about you. It's never just about me. It's about us. You know that. I know that. But we forget it. And we forget it in moments where we have decisions to make day after day, week after week, month after month. And we look back and we realize that we have We've bought into a lie that life can be about me and me alone and everybody else in my life pretty much exists for me. And then we wake up one day and realize that we're lonely and our life hasn't really ended up where we thought it would. There is this struggle between what we want and what our, our world has told us to want and taught us to want, there's a difference between that and what we actually should do with our lives in relationship to one another. So we come here, we come to this place, we come to God's word, and we confess that struggle. And then we ask for God to help show us a better way. Jonah the prophet knows this, this same journey very well. Jonah knows the struggle the distance between what he should do and what he wants to do. And that distance, as we discover Jonah at the very beginning, at chapter 1, could not be greater. 
Because God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go and preach to the people of Nineveh on my behalf. I want you to speak to them and tell them my truth. And Jonah knows that even though that's going to be a harsh truth that's difficult to, to understand or hear, that God sending someone to speak to another person, that is God loving them. That's God showing them grace. And Jonah doesn't want to do that. He wants to do anything else. And I don't know, you, you and I can't know how long Jonah struggles with that decision. We know what he ends up choosing. He does what he wants to do instead of what he knows he should do. He does what he wants to do instead of what God is calling him to do, commanding him to do. And he he tries to, to run in the opposite direction. He tries to run away from this crazy task, and Jonah tries to even run away from this God who gives him this crazy task, except for you and I know you can't really successfully run from God. God sends a storm to stop his getaway boat in its tracks and works through that storm and and Jonah ends up being thrown overboard and then God sends this supernaturally huge fish to swallow him whole and take him back to this mission, take him back to what God has asked him, has told him, this is what your life is is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about what you want. It's supposed to be about what God wants. It's supposed to be not about what what Jonah's longing for. It's supposed to be what God's longing for. And that is not for the people of Nineveh, who are the sworn enemies of Israel. It's not God doesn't want for them to be utterly and totally destroyed without hope. What God wants is for them to somehow some way wake up and to start a redemptive relationship with God and with God's people. And God's plan is for all of that to start. This new chapter in the life of the people of Nineveh, it's all going to start with Jonah. Well, Jonah, as he's trapped in the stomach of this fish for three days, finds that something happens to him. He finds that he's tired of trying to run away from God. He's tired of trying to decide that he knows better than God. He's tired of being stuck inside that fish. And so instead of continuing to try to run away from God, Jonah reaches out to God. We talked about this last week. Jonah, stuck as he is under the waves and going in a direction that by his own admission, he doesn't really want to go. He decides to, to stop running, and he runs back to God. And here's the thing. You cannot run back to God without also running back to God's heart. You can't, you can't open your life up to the life of God without also being caught up in caring about the things God cares about. And Here's what we know about God. There's one thing that God cares about more than anything else, and it's people. All kinds of people. Even people that you don't like or understand, people that frustrate you, people that frighten you. God loves people, all kinds of people, even people who we are certain are our enemies. So three days pass. Jonah has this change of heart, 
And when the fish vomits him onto dry land, he's not who he was. He's not who he was at the very beginning of the story. Open your Bibles up to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. So then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his whole sermon. The upside is, that's his whole sermon. It's that brief. The downside is the content. But the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now this time, when, when God asks Jonah to go and speak to the people of Nineveh, instead of running away from God, Jonah decides to walk with God. This time Jonah finds the courage and the strength to do what he should do, even though we know it's not what he wants to do. Being willing to do something God asks us to do is not the exact same thing as wanting to do it, but it's definitely a good start. There's probably better ways to say it than this, but I'm going to say it this way. Wanting to want to do something. Desiring to have the desire. That's a state of mind and heart that God can certainly work with. And you and I know what it's like to be in that place where we don't actually want to do something, but maybe somewhere deep inside we want to want to do it. We don't yet have the desire, but we have a desire for God to give us that desire. God works with and through Jonah in a way especially given the script of the sermon we, we just read, God works through Jonah in a way that can only be described as amazing. Nineveh is filled with people whose value system is completely broken and, and completely upside down in comparison to God's value system. Nineveh is filled with people who are completely and totally lost when it comes to what does it look like to be a good and decent person what does it look like to have good and decent relationships with one another? And yet it also turns out, even though Jonah didn't see this coming, that Nineveh is also filled with people who are willing to listen to God. 
People who are, are willing to listen to God through the voice of an out-of-town preacher who clearly doesn't like them very much and who doesn't want them to respond to the altar call. Jonah is preaching not out of a desire to reach these people. Jonah is preaching out of a desire to do what God has asked. I would have to guess that if you and I got to, to watch Jonah preach this sermon, in 40 days, the city's going to be overturned. In 40 days, the city's going to be overturned. That we, would, we wouldn't feel like his entire heart is, is in the words that he's speaking. But he's speaking. He's in Nineveh. He's, he's doing what God has asked him to do. And God partners with that. God uses that. This, this obedient but reluctant missionary. Can you imagine being a missionary that's hoping you don't save anybody? But if there's hope for Jonah, maybe there's hope for the people Jonah's speaking to. God wants us to see this amazing thing unfold. And it really is. I mean, can you imagine? Not just everyone from the the greatest to the least in the society fasting and, and putting themselves in sackcloth and, and publicly mourning and and doing whatever they can to, to reach out to God, a God they have up until that moment been living like they don't believe in because they didn't, and a God they don't trust in because they didn't, and, but, but, but then they hear the words of Jonah and something changes in them. And it's not just people. The king, when he finds out, he, he, he tells, and this, this had to be extremely difficult. It's not just the people weren't allowed to eat or drink. He says, I don't want any of the animals that you own to eat or drink. We are all going to show God how sorry we are, how lost we've been, in hope that the God who sent Jonah to us is more gracious to us than Jonah. Right? That God will hear us and in compassion forgive us. And that's exactly what happens. In this third chapter of Jonah, the storyteller says that God sees their repentance and has compassion on them, has grace on them, and does not bring about the destruction that he had threatened. It turns out that the people of Nineveh aren't just hungry because they're fasting. They are starving. They are, they're desperate to encounter someone who can lead them to God. They didn't even know they were desperate. But they were desperate for someone who could speak a word of truth to them that would lead them to God, that would lead them to grace. Three days is all, all it took. Three days of Jonah being stuck inside of a whale for him to come to his senses and, and see the light in, in the pitch dark and to start saying yes to God instead of no. Three days is all it takes for the people of Nineveh, to encounter God through his messenger, through Jonah, and for them to start learning themselves how to say yes to God and God's way of life. Three days. 
and new life starts to break out. Three days, and there's good reason to hope. Three days, and then there's resurrection. Grace has the power to do that, you know. Only grace has the power to do that. Grace can turn the ugliest situation in our lives into something breathtakingly beautiful. And grace doesn't only repair broken individuals and broken hearts. Grace can build bridges again in broken communities between those broken people. Grace has the power to to help us start all over again. Not just me start all over again or you start all over again, but us as a family. We can start over again. Grace has the power... And he, here's the, I think the part of grace that we sometimes don't fully grasp at first, and, and then we're not sure exactly if, if this is what it means to accept grace if, if we're really ready. Grace has the power to help us extend grace to people when we don't want to give them grace. But we have to let that happen. See, you and I, we don't tend to get in the way of God's grace to us, but we will throw ourselves in the way of grace if it means they're going to get it. Whoever they happen to be, whatever their name happens to be, whatever they've done to you, if grace is something that God wants to give them too, I, I don't know. If that's what it means, I I don't know. Offering grace can mean a lot of things. And here's the thing about grace. You don't have to want to give it to anybody. You just have to give it to them. You don't have to, to want. You just have to be willing. My dad said that to me every day of my life from 13 on. He'd tell me to do something, and I'd say, Dad, I don't want to do that. And he'd say, I don't remember asking if you wanted to do it. You don't have to want anything. You just have to do it. You have to be willing to do it. That, along with life is never fair and all these other things that he would say to me that were basically, would you just be quiet and do what I asked you to do? And I would do what he asked me to do, but I was never, never quiet about it. Offering people grace is, is a difficult thing. And it's not just because we struggle at times with the desire. It's also because we're not exactly sure what it's going to look like. And in this story, in the story of Jonah, and for this morning, what I want us to consider is that there are times that, that at least one way we can show grace to somebody else in our lives is by telling them the truth. Maybe especially when it's a truth that we're nervous to have to tell them. Jonah offers grace to the people of Nineveh by joining them where they live, by going to the place they live, and telling them a truth that God has revealed to him. It's very direct. 
This is basically how Jonah shows grace to the people of Nineveh. This is what he does. He comes to share life with them, and all three days of life. And then he says to them, look, you, you, don't, you don't see what's happening. But unless you make drastic changes, you're going to lose everything. You don't see what's happening, but unless you make drastic changes, you're going to lose everything. Now, here's the thing. I'm afraid that, that there are times where you and I decide that, that showing someone grace means never doing anything that would make them uncomfortable. That, that showing someone grace is never challenging them. Never inviting them to do something that's going to be hard for them to do. But showing somebody grace, at least according to the story of Jonah, is more than just being nice and avoiding saying anything that might upset anyone. In the Bible, showing someone grace is doing whatever it takes to help them encounter the goodness of God. And that sometimes means telling them a hard truth, and not just a hard truth about anything, but a hard truth about themselves. Look, time, time's running out. You don't see it, but if, if you don't make drastic changes, you're going to lose everything that matters to you. Now, you and I, I think that we would assume that showing someone that kind of grace might be a, about as effective as showing them the door but Jonah and the people of Nineveh, they beg to differ. Jonah offers them grace by joining them where they live and telling them God's truth. The rest, well, that's up to the people of Nineveh and God. And so, as we think about, okay, what, what in Jonah's story can become a part of our life story? And I think it's that, like Jonah before us, our job, and I need you to hear this because I think you, you might be tempted to assume that I'm speaking to someone else in the room, but I'm not. I'm speaking to you. And don't think of somebody else that you wish hadn't skipped church today because they should have been here to hear this sermon. I get that all the time, you know. I'll preach a challenging sermon and someone says, man, I wish Joe had been here. He needed to hear that sermon. I'm not talking to Joe, I'm talking to you, unless your name's Joe, and then I'm talking to Joe. But I'm talking to you. It is not our job, when it comes to grace, to try to predict how someone else is going to respond to that grace, and then do the mental math and figure out that if they respond in a way, if, they, if we think they will respond in a way that we, we mostly agree with, then we'll give it a shot. But if we predict that they're not going to appreciate it or receive the grace in a way that we want them to, then we get to decide preemptively not to give them that grace. Too often... That's what I'm doing in my relationships. I'm trying to predict how well someone's going to respond to what I mistake 
for my own goodness and grace, when what it really is is God's goodness and grace, but I think it's mine, and I think I have ownership on it, and, and I only have so much of it, and so if you're somebody in my life who, who I, I'm just, I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking of your, your wisdom and your maturity, and I get all that, and I, okay, no, if I show you grace, it's a waste, so now I don't have to try to show you grace. That's not our role. That's not our place. That's, that's not our job. Our job is to offer the richly complex and compassionate grace of God to somebody and then keep our eyes open to see what happens next. Because what happens next in the story of Jonah is not something that makes any logical sense at all. He goes to the capital city of the enemies of Israel and he tells them, if you don't change, you're going to lose everything that matters to you. And they listen. Every single one of them receives God's grace in a way that Jonah would have told you if you could have asked him before he got there and preached. Are any of them going to listen? He's going to say no, because they're bad people. They've hurt me and people that I care about, and they're going to hurt people again. And the best thing that could happen to them, the best thing God could do to them is hold them accountable for all their mistakes and make them suffer the destruction that they deserve. That's what Jonah would have said. And he would have told you that he's wasting his time. But he wasn't wasting his time. And more importantly, he wasn't wasting God's grace. And it doesn't make any sense. Which tells me and you something that we have to understand. We are not nearly as good as we think we are at predicting what God's grace is going to do to somebody else. We're not good at predicting it. And we use our sense of being able to predict that as permission to not be the people God has has called us and equipped us to be. Who knows what will happen after we show people grace? We think we know, but the story of Jonah assures us that only God knows what's going to happen. And God's the one who keeps asking you and I time and time and time again to not only receive grace, but to share that same grace. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Grace is nothing that we can own. Grace is something we can share and participate in. And it always, always belongs to God. If you want a life of grace... You have to give that grace to other people. Several months ago, I had somebody in my life, a a trusted voice in my life, tell me, uh, Jared, I want you to pick one person in your life who uh, you're done with, somebody that you've given up on. And I said, well, I have, I have a few to choose from. And he said, okay, well, I, just, just pick one. Don't, don't, don't try to, to do all of this at once. Pick one person, and then all I want you to do is send one text message or one email or, or send one letter or make one phone call. And the only, the only goal is to open up lines of communication again with that person 
and then see what God does with, with that effort. Don't, don't start thinking of all the, the thousand reasons why that's not a good idea or why it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. Just pick one person and use one way to reach out to them and see what God does with it. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I did not want that assignment. There was no part of me that wanted that assignment, but because of who was asking me, I was willing. So I start thinking about who's it going to be. It takes me a while to figure out, okay, I, this is who I'm going to reach out to. Then it takes me even longer to figure out, okay, how am I, how am I going to reach out to them? And you'd be amazed at how long you can stall trying to choose between a text message and an email and a letter and a phone call when you don't want to want to do it. But finally, I have a name, and I decide, okay, I'm going to send a text message. Then I write a text message. Not good. Start over. Not exactly the way I want it. Start over. Sounds way too nice. They're not going to believe I mean it. Start over. I get to about the fifth or sixth version of the text message, and I think, okay, this is as good as it's going to get. And I say a prayer, and I hit send. I hadn't talked to that person in over five years. And as soon as I hit send, I'm already blaming them for how they're going to fail to receive my grace. Right? They're, they're not going to. I know them. I know how they're going to read. They're going to read the worst possible tone of voice into this text. They're going to they're forget to get back to me. They've probably changed a number, and they haven't even told me they changed a number. And if that's the case, then I tried, and I'm off scot-free. Right? It just... All this stuff that you, I'm in the middle of imagining how they're going to fail to receive, again, my grace instead of God's grace, right? I'm thinking it's mine. Under a minute. I mean, I haven't even put my phone down because I'm daydreaming about how ungracious they are. And my phone chirps and they've already responded. And I open it up and that text message is filled with warmth and kindness and patience, and I don't trust any of it. And then I realize I'm Jonah. And so now, instead of saying the prayer when I send the, the text message, I'm saying a prayer as I read the text message, and, and we're talking again. And I don't know what's going to happen. I'm a worst-case scenario guy, so I can tell you what I think's going to happen. But only God knows what's going to happen. And I don't have to want to keep talking to this person. I just have to be willing. By the way, if I text you later today, don't panic. <laughs> it's not you. It's Joe. Uh, it's, not, it's not Joe. It's nobody here. Okay. So you know what's coming next, right? Pick somebody this week. Pick somebody. Pick away. I don't care if it's a phone call or a text message or a letter or a coffee or whatever it is. And I want you to open, open the door. And don't use your grace because you don't really have any. Share God's grace. And I promise you, you think you know exactly what's going to happen. But I really hope you're wrong. 
I really hope we're wrong, and I hope that God's grace does things we would never, ever be able to expect or imagine. When, when all we do is we stop asking whether or not we want to, and we just say, I'm willing. And then we see what God does next. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout this room to receive you and pray with you. So if you came this morning with any concern on your heart at all, I'm going to ask those couples that they would to stand up briefly so you can kind of see where they'll be. Um, Go to these couples as together we stand and sing.